And we all desire to give ourselves to an absolute, but we keep giving ourselves to the wrong absolute. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Mike Gomer Gormley welcoming you to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. Unfortunately, as you can probably tell already, I'm not joined by Dave, brother from the Blessed Mother, Van Vickle. Instead, Dave has a whole host of stuff that he is doing in 2020. And it's about that that I kind of wanted to talk to you today. Now, Dave will be back next week, but this has been a rough Christmas break for Dave. Um, he found out that his wife was diagnosed with cancer, immediately had a surgery and started chemo treatments. So I need everyone in the Every Knees Shall Bow audience to pray for him, to pour out a spirit of generosity in prayer, being dedicated to calling on the power of heaven. Christ says, or St. Paul says, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been secured for us by Christ Jesus. And so aware of every spiritual blessing, we call that down on Amber Van Vickle for her healing, for the safety of their family, for the well-being of their family as these times get extraordinarily difficult, right? In Thanksgiving, that people have pledged over $250,000 to the Van Vickle family, right? Dave is amazing. Dave is incredible. And Dave's wife is even better than Dave. But because of a friend of ours, Andy Levznevsky, you might have seen his Redeemed Online videos, uh, the Share Faith videos, None Week that he has. Dave um, was able, or his family, Andy raised about $250,000 for Dave's family, which is incredible. It's on GoFundMe. You can still donate now. But at the heart of it, brothers and sisters, is an outcry to heaven for prayers of healing, for prayers of peace, for prayers of safety and security in these uncertain times. Um, also, my parish is going through a capital campaign. We're starting it up. It's one of these diocesan capital campaigns that they partner with the parishes and all this stuff. So we got to figure this stuff out. And so I was talking about generosity. What does it mean to be generous as a Christian? And one of the things that I realized is the kerygma is not just the thing you tell people before you can really catechize them. The kerygma is the source of catechesis. So for instance, when I'm talking with married couples about how they live sexuality, right, Catholic version, Catholic morality, I know we've talked about on the before, like oh, you have all these, you, you don't wanna start with, you know, presuming they're already faithful disciples and don't just start with morality, take the time to go through the kerygma. But there are times where the kerygma, where morality is the perfect setup for kerygma. And so when I was with these married couples who were civilly married and they were desiring to be convalidated, we were going through the process and I was teaching them the church's meaning of sexuality. The coolest thing there is as I talk about the beautiful dignity of the body, I point to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And I say, what could be more affirming of the, the embodiedness of a married couple than the fact that Christ died for his bride. He laid down his life so that she could be made whole and made holy. Like how beautiful is that? And so even in the middle of talking about humane vitae and walking them through the catechism on marital chastity, a conjugal chastity, they, the people there saw the risen Lord in the midst of 
the non-contraception talk. It wasn't just law, it was grace and truth, and that's what people respond to. The law has to be connected to something more beautiful. Okay, so capital campaign generosity. How many of y'all have ever sat in the pew when the church people ask for money? People get up, give a little speech, and say, fill out this card, do this thing. Well, it's happened to me a bunch of times in, in different churches, and there's always this feeling of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a trained Catholic. I know what the church teaches about giving my money. I'm a percentage giver, all of those things. I try to be generous, but there's this element where so many people complain because the only time they ever hear about the church's teaching on money or generosity is precisely when it's time to give money to a campaign. And so what we try to do at our church is we want to space out that time. So we came up with this homily series on generosity, how to be generous with God in prayer, how to be generous with God in your participation in the life of the church, and how to be generous with God with your finances, with your pledge, right? Prayer, participation, and pledge. And I love that. I think it's awesome. And one of the things I realize is the kerygma is at the heart of Christian generosity, right? I mean, think about this. If you want to teach Christ and involve the gospel in everything that you do, how do you talk about money and Jesus? You do it this way. You quote 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The whole chapter is worth your attention. God loves a cheerful giver, all that good sowing and reaping, great verses that every like stewardship campaign uses on their, on their flyers and information sheets and I as well. But right in the heart of it is the beautiful phrase that Christ, though he was rich, for your sake became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. And this is the marvelous exchange that we have with our God in Christ Jesus, right? So when St. Paul is encouraging the church to be generous, he doesn't play Sarah McLaughlin music and show pictures of abused dogs, right? In the arms of the angels. He doesn't do that at all. What does he do? He preaches the kerygma. This is, brothers and sisters, what Christ did for us. He was poor, or he was rich, he was the God of heaven and earth. He was the creator, and the creator emptied himself. As he would say in Philippians, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, dying a death on the cross. Like, think about what that means for the God of the universe, being placed in a manger, a food trough for animals. All of those poverties is because he saw your poverty in sin, in despair, in anxiety, in depression, in loneliness, in being forgotten, in being overwhelmed with your own sinfulness. He impoverished himself so that he could make you rich. So that's what St. Paul does. He doesn't sit there and try to emotionally manipulate you. He says, look, this is what God did for you. This is what he did for you. Now let's do it for one another. Let's do it for our brothers. Let's do it for this capital campaign that is meant to be for the glory of God. Let's do this by, because Christians cannot call themselves Christians and not be generous, not love the poor, not die lay down our, laying down our lives for the sake of others. We can't do that because that's what he did and I'm called to follow him. See, when you begin to look at generosity through the lens of the kerygma, you begin to see that a generous spirit is applied to things like marriage class. So I talk to them in the same moment I'm talking about marital chastity and all that stuff. I talk about a spirit of Christian generosity, right? When it comes to having kids, right? And then you begin to look at that generosity when it comes to baptism class and raising your kids in the Catholic faith, right? You're not allowed to baptize a baby if there's no founding hope that that child will be raised in the Catholic faith. 
And so the idea is like getting parents alive in this notion of generosity, not because God is asking too much of us, because God is asking a fraction of what God already did for us. Over and over again, all the writers of the New Testament point to the dying and rising Lord and his self-impoverishment, his self-sacrificial generosity, and then they make the ask, will you do this? Will you love your brother? Because Christ proved his love for us that while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. While we were hostile in mind and deed, Christ died for us to make us worthy of the kingdom. So now live a life worthy of the kingdom. Every ask, not just an ask for money, every single time the apostles start or put at the center the dying and rising Lord. The death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel message, what God accomplished for us, is not just the first thing we do so that we can move on to other catechetical things. It's the foundation of literally every catechetical thing that we do. And if we aren't explicitly and repeatedly placing the death and resurrection of Jesus in all of these things, then that's why we have people who can go through RCIA, know all the ins and outs of the catechism, and yet not be committed to Christ. Because they don't understand how the Eucharist is tied to the cross. They don't understand how marriage, matrimony, you know, parenting is tied to the cross. They don't understand how living the Christian life, my finances, all of this stuff is tied to the cross. But you do. And this is your beautiful opportunity to bring him home to them. So don't just keep the charisma safely tucked away in those initial stages of evangelization. Be bold in your connecting the proclamation with catechesis at every step of the way, whether you're doing a capital campaign or you're doing convalidation preparation or you're working with high school confirmation students. It is not that we're claiming perfection. We desire perfection, which is why we claim the cross. For Jesus Christ came and impoverished himself that by his very act of impoverishment, I can become rich, rich in virtue, rich in love, rich in self-sacrifice, rich in generosity of life. So over and over again, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you and recall you to this beautiful, humble, simple fact that in 2020, the charisma, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is available to you right now with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that God desires through you to communicate that truth to others. May God love you.